Remember, this is a vision that he is seeing about the way the story ends. And uh, if, we, if we lose sight of the fact that this is a vision, we might uh, become uh, overly literalistic and want to see a tit-for-tat correlation in everything in all of creation. Uh, so bear in mind that this, these, are, these are visions. These are, in some ways, the best approximation that we can possibly have about the way that, about what John is seeing. Um, John Calvin knew this when he said that once we have mastered the Bible, any, any masters of the Bible in here, uh, he said this, that to master the Bible is to master the baby talk of God. Now think about that. Uh, we're about to have a child in a, in a few months, and our house will be filled with, I've loved you so much. Your daddy, what a bad, 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 bad. To us. It's, it's, a, it's his condescension to us to give us the best approximation of what he is like that our feeble minds will understand. Remember that as we're reading this, okay? Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Then we begin to see how this story, this takes up the narrative as John has been giving us for 20 some odd chapters talking about the city itself. If you'll look in verse 9, he's talking about this new Jerusalem. Then came out the seven angels who had the seven bowls from the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That is the church, that is His people being uh, figured in this way. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me out of the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance is like that most rare jewel, and he begins to talk a little bit more about that. I'm jumping down to uh, 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of the God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no more night there. They will bring into into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, let's let's start by saying this. It's on your page there. And um, I don't know how many of you remember this uh, story called The Never-Ending Story. Figured uh, there's a, a great actor. I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, somebody played the character named Atreyu. And uh, the story goes like this, that a little boy finds this book in this bookstore. And as he begins to read the book, he notices something. That when lightning crashes in the narrative itself, as he's reading it tucked under his blanket, as he, as he reads, and the lightning flashed. In his world, the lightning flashes too. And as the, the, the window from that lightning crashes in the story, in his world, the window pane explodes as well. 
And what you begin to see in this never-ending story is the story that he is reading, he himself is actually a part of. And that right there is exactly what the Bible wants us to know about it. This story that we're being told from Genesis to Revelation is not something that happens distantly, but it is our story. That it is something that we are taken up into, as it were, and we find ourselves players and stewards, as I mentioned a few uh, weeks ago, and heirs to that story, but participants in that. And I, this is huge because uh, unless you understand that the Bible is not something that happens over there in la-la land, wherever la-la land is, and I have nothing to do with it, you won't understand how the Bible ends because it's saying that your story is here and that this, uh, this is what shall come to pass as being a part of that story. Um, if you remember from the Tolkien uh, trilogy there, the, the Lord of the Rings, uh, there's a moment where uh, one of the hobbits says, Gandalf, there it is on your, on your sheet, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was uh, dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? What's happened to the world? It's this wonderful picture, right? Of everything sad coming untrue. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us. That one day, there will be no more sin. There will be no more uh, pain, no more sorrow. Uh, We will be utterly remade along with the world. And it will be the most richest and uh, wonderful of experiences and pictures that our mind could even begin to dream about or conceive. Now... Dialogue with me on this. What in the world might this have to do with mission? What in the world might have this? Why why are we talking about this when we've been talking about uh, mission all along? Like what what importance would would it possibly, why is Revelation 21 and 22, why is Isaiah chapter 65 as we'll talk about later on, why are these images even there for us as we think about the mission or the story that God is on? Yes, Beth, good and loud. I would say that the mission that have to the Yeah. Be nice to know how that story ends, right? Yeah, good. What else, Kitty? Hope in a hopeless world. That it matters now, knowing the end of the story, even now. Yeah, what else? This is great. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, there's real hope that God's going to uh, finish what He begun. I, th- I think that's what we think that we forget. This is God. Don't forget this is God's mission. He will do it. We are in, we are invited as participants and, and heirs to that. But it's not, I mean, isn't this wonderful that uh, God completing His work is not contingent on us shouldering that? If we, you know, He's a, He's able to use even our failures in this mission to bring about uh, what He is up to. That's been the whole story, by the way, right? I mean, it wasn't like Abraham nailed it. And our first parents, they didn't exactly get things right, plunging us into this ruin that God says, I will go make beautiful what they have made an utter wreck of, right? Well, I think this is where we want to uh, continue to drive home. Let me, let me take us to our next point, the importance of place and space. One of the things that we see when we re- read Revelation is that place and space actually matter. 
The mission of God is always, uh, that God is working always has a place. He doesn't work in nowhere. Rather, the actions of God with His people have always been on re-soil, real soil. There is an earthiness to the activity of God. When Jesus says in John 5, 17, My Father is working until now and I am working, this working has always been here on earth. Uh, listen to what uh, uh, Christopher Wright writes in the mission, in the mission of God. He says a world of wickedness was wiped out uh, in the flood, but the world as God's creation was preserved. Similarly, by analogy, the world of all evil and wickedness in creation will be wiped out in God's cataclysmic judgment, but the creation itself will be renewed as the dwelling place of God with redeemed humanity. You remember Romans chapter 8 as well. Paul is talking about how all of the creation longs Uh, for the sons of God to be revealed. Darwin's image is wonderful. Do you remember what he often says? If this is the world in a wheelchair, what's it going to be like on that day where where it gets up and runs? I mean, have you ever ever seen the Rockies or uh, seen... uh, I I had the privilege of visiting uh, New Zealand almost 10 years ago. Uh, or been to the Grand Canyon, or just put your toes in the ocean for 20 seconds. And have you ever looked out at all of its beauty and been like, oh, so this is what creation looks like groaning. Groaning. Not together. Not as it should be. What in the world will it look like one day when all of it is remade and existing as it's meant to be? You see, the story of the story that, that God starts out in Genesis 1 and 2 about making this world and making it with His people, you have to understand that when He was dwelling there in the cool of the day, intimacy with God, when we lost that, God, God was just not content to, to leave us there, but to go and actually remake and to restore that. And what's so beautiful about the Christian storyline, and I'm, I'm pushing the edges here with this, I realize this, but... I think that there's a case that can strongly be made that we're not just going back to Eden. Do you understand what I mean by that? That all this whole mission is not just back to go back to the glory of Eden, but the new city, heaven and earth rejoined, the new Jerusalem, will make Eden look like chump change. That's where we're going. That is utterly profound that God would put us in a mission uh, that way. Let me think about it. Let's, let's go as well thinking more like um, along these lines here as I talk about place and space. The prophet Isaiah even says this. He says, For behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And be glad of my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. This really is forming the backdrop. I mean, we read right there in uh, Revelation 21. It's John's, the language of new heavens and new earth comes directly from Isaiah's language. So this is an Old Testament even motif and metaphor that's being picked up by uh, John himself. But let's just take pause for just a moment before we move on. Um. I want to begin to suggest to you that there is a um, there is a reading of the Bible. Darwin will talk about this, I think, next week as he talks about the introduction to biblical eschatology. 
Eschatology meaning just the way that things end, the end times. But there is a reading of, Christ, of, of redemptive history that, um, that would say the sum total of the Christian life is to just bide your time. And then one day when you die, God will take you off to heaven. You will, I'm being facetious here, of course, but you will become a little cherub, a uh, little fat cherub baby uh, with no gender. You will sprout wings and uh, you'll have an eternal existence in that state. Now, that's more a product of bad art than it is really a, uh, a picture of what the Bible tells us is going to happen. Here's how the biblical storyline goes. That upon our death, this side of Jesus returning, you and me, upon our death, our bodies go into the ground. Our souls are disjoined, and they are to be with the Lord until He returns, Paul would say. At that moment... Uh, when the Lord Jesus comes back, uh, our souls are then reunited with our resurrected bodies. Now, uh, why would this be all be so important? Well, because at that moment, God, uh, in the person of Jesus, then enters into judgment for everyone who's ever lived. At that point, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, some to everlasting glory, and others into everlasting shame and despair and the torment. And at that point is what we get when we think about new heavens, new earth. You see, as one writer put it, uh, when you die, that is not life after death. That is life after death. That is not the final state of things. There is a day coming called life after life after death. Where our bodies shall be reunited with our souls, existing in a physical state, in a real place forever with God. And I think that unless you see that, unless you begin to know that, that that is how the story is going, a lot of this mission stuff doesn't make sense. Why? Because I want you to see that from the very beginning, God has made us physical creatures and we shall end physical creatures. Jesus himself, Jesus himself, when he was resurrected from the dead, he put Thomas's fingers into his holes. That is very spatio, that is very temporal. There is a physical, there's a physicality to Christianity. Also, um, the idea that we sort of float away and that it's a good thing for body and for soul to be separate is not a Christian idea. That is a Platonic idea. It's rooted in Greek Platonism where uh, the Platonists saw this is a cage. This is not good for us. This epidermis is bad. And so what we need is to be finally let free of that and so what matters are soulish things, and what doesn't matter and is to be eschewed are those things that are physical. But Christianity says, eh, wrong, not so. There is a day coming where this body, my bad back that I'm experiencing in this moment, hallelujah, one day, will not be, it will not be. And I look forward to that day, and that is true for you. So your body is what you got. Now Jesus has promised to remake it and to renew it, and it shall rise imperishable. But that is where this mission is headed. So the idea of the importance of that which is physical. Push pause with me for a second and dialogue with me. What does it do for you to know that, that God Himself is not just whisking us away to some ethereal, non-spatio-temporal, non-physical world? That is not the biblical picture of heaven. But to know 
that new heavens, new earth is entirely physical, is entirely spatiotemporal, is entirely earthly. What does that do for you? Or a variation from that in some way. Yeah, that's great. But what else? I realize these are big picture concepts. This is, I'm mad at Brian for making me teach this one because it's hard. But we've got to begin to start getting our mind around it if we want to become fluent in the, in, in Christi- in the way that Christianity speaks about where the story is actually going. Okay, what else? What other thoughts? Yes, Holly. Mm-hmm. Right now? Yeah, we're not told a whole lot about that, but I do think, think this, that what is what we do see throughout the Scripture is that for body and soul to be united is a really, really good thing. And so while there is separation presently, there, it's only by inference or by deduction that one could say there is a longing. There is a longing for things to be reunited and to be restored. So, uh, but no, I can't point you to Second John, you know, five on that. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? That's that's good. Thank you. Others. This is a good questions. Yes, that's good. Yeah, that's that's so good. Um, If y'all will remember, I'm talking about space here before we kind of go to the importance of the body, which I've probably already talked about. Um, If you were with us in the the mission we did on temple, uh, I want you to see that heaven here really is being being pre it's it's being described in very temple-esque uh language the idea especially what we just read in 22 and following where it says that i saw no temple in the city for its temple is the lord uh, god the almighty and the lamb the idea of the holy of holies uh, filling the entirety of the new creation uh, holy of holies was the place where god himself dwelt that the margins of the holy and holies are co-terminous with the entirety of the new creation. There is no non-holy of holies in the new heavens, new earth. Say it again. There is no non-holy of holies in the new heavens and the new earth because there is no need for it because God himself will dwell with his people apart from the presence of any sin. There will be no barrier needed anymore 
and therefore God dwells with His people forever. It's very, uh, very rich in temple language uh, there in, in, in this chapter. Uh, you, you saw it as well this, uh, as we talked about it then in verse 16. I didn't read that, but um, its length and width and height are equal, talking about the city. Uh, it's very blatant, holy of holy language, which was a perfect cube as well. So John is picking up this language as well there to talk about uh, this, this space uh, that, that God is, is making. Um, let me, let me move on to the idea of the importance of the body. Just ever so briefly, I'll read it there. The Bible, and therefore Christianity, has an incredibly high view of the body, both in this life and the one to come. Jesus was raised with the body and was seen as the first fruits of the new creation. This, this lies in direct contrast to Platonic thought and Platonism. The body was a trap, one that was sought to be avoided. Sorry for dropping the T there. The spiritual was good, and this was to be sought, but the body was a prison holding us back from our truest and best existence. And I do think this, that sadly, for most of Christian history, much of what has been taught in the name of Christianity is nothing but a baptized Platonism. It's just sort of been sprinkled with a little bit of Christianity, but the idea is that what really matters is soulish existence. Well, the Bible is just going to come home and pound that no, 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 no. What really matters is body and soul reunited. God made stuff. He loves it. Um, and what God makes, as my seminary professor used to say, God does not make junk, and He does not junk what He has made. And if we remember that motif, that, that, that way of thinking, uh, it, is, it is this beautiful picture. So let's look, God's space and man's space, and we're allowed a few minutes for some questions on this. Um, I want you to see that what we see in Revelation 21 is, the, is new heavens, new earth coming down and joining together. The way the Bible speaks is that there is man's space. We call that the earth and the heavenlies. And we have God's space, the heavens. And that throughout the entirety of the Scripture, save for Genesis 1, those spaces have been separated like this. And that symbolically, those worlds began to intersect at one place and one place only. Does anybody want to take a stab at where that was? This is in the Holy of Holies. That was at one place, right there above the Ark of the Covenant. But what we begin to see is why the theme of temple is so important. But what we see, this is amazing. John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The idea is, as John is saying, holy moly, new heaven and new earth come together. They're no longer distinct. What God has originally made is together again. A new one, one that is together, not earth separated from heaven. And why? And that's where he spells all this out. He says, I knew the whole, soul, the whole city coming down. And then verse 3, this is wonderful. Like you have to just behold in the Bible always means look. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? Listen to this. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle of God is with man. He will dwell with them. What the tabernacle and the temple only pointed to is now ultimately fulfilled. Why? Because God is with His people at last. At last. It's over with. It is done. The mission is complete and so sealed by God that it can never be ripped apart again. I'm reading from the sheet. 
The picture the Bible gives us is that heaven and earth rejoin and are renewed. They're, they're made new and thus together. The point of Revelation 21 is that what was separate is now finally brought back together. John's vision involves the new heaven and the new earth coming down to us, not us going there. And when this happens, the mission will be complete. God at long last dwelling with His people once again. And I might add, in the world that He has remade. From the least to the greatest, everyone will know God, thus fulfilling the vision of the Old Testament prophets. It is the vision of Eden restored and then made better. Um, I want to read this wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis. It comes from the last page of The Last Battle, which is the last of his books in the Narnia Tales. And just, if you've ever read it, if you were a child when you first read it, try to go back in that moment and hear it again, uh, perhaps uh, with fresh ears. As he spoke, he's talking about Aslan the lion. He no longer looked to them, that is the children, like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, well, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I mean, is that not beautiful? And if Lewis is but approximating it, what shall it really be? What shall it really be that this would be our narrative? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come, come. Okay, so we see that the mission gets completed. Hallelujah, right? This is our end. If you are in Christ today, this is your story, dear one. This is what will happen for you. You are a part of this. And if this be true for you today, then so what? What's the big deal? Why would this matter for us? Sum up all that you've learned over the past 11 weeks if you can. What are you taking away? Why would this matter? Let's just spend the next five or six minutes there together rethinking and, and wondering maybe even afresh about this wonderful mission that God has called us on. Yes, I know. I tackled a major topic and like that quick. Uh, books written about it. Uh, and your pastors get paid big bucks to talk to you about it, so take them up on it, okay? So uh, uh, what can, what, where are you in this moment hearing this, uh, thinking about all that God is up to in this world? It is no small thing. It is so wonderful and so beautiful. And uh, what, what are you taking away with you even now? I think uh, when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, yeah. um, it's so much bigger than just the formula of Jesus innocent, Jesus suffers and people get to hear. Yeah. There is so much more that we are offered in Christ, the invitation to the gospel, where it tells us to have to do with the whole person, the restoration of all things. I know, right? Something that all the more you want to share with someone. Yeah. In a positive way. Yes, 
Sure. Well said. Who wants to follow that? Yeah, Doug. Sorry. You go ahead, Doug. Well, I was just say, for me, it ties. I know we're talking about conversion sermons, but it ties into the sermon. This this whole study brings God back into the focus, the center of my life. Mm. Yes. Good. I was thinking in our deepest and darkest and hardest moments, as Christians, we actually can find joy and hope, peace and rest. And I think that's probably the greatest rest I've ever found during my darkest time, because I'm looking to that night, and when we read, you know, we know not why, mm. because we'll need no rest. Mm. Come on, what else? Yes. I think we're uh, unskilled in meditating on these things. And, and, and uh, I believe it was Spurgeon who said, if we focused, if we meditated on heaven, new heaven, new earth, for about 20 minutes a day, uh, how would our life be so radically reordered and, re- and, and shaped even presently? I mean, you guys have been in here for, we've been talking for about 42 minutes. And the encouragement that is, is being drawn up is really quite profound. I think we need, I certainly think we need help. We need to help one another to be reminded of our story and to help one another uh, become conversant in where this whole thing is going. But yeah, good. What else? Anything? Yeah, Doug. Mm. Is, is the fear that a lot of people have of death, of mm-hmm. that moment. And, and I think what you laid out for us today is part of the, the gospel story to mm-hmm. answer that question. I mean, when it ties into all the movies that are made about, you know, come to near death experience. Mm-hmm. You're getting little, you're getting little shots, little shots of the real stuff that's coming one day. God in His kindness injects a little, little chinks, little chinks in the armor, so to speak, where a light, a little ray of light gets through. But uh, as Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of what uh, of what God is actually up to when 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 the topic of new creation, not only in us personally. But in entirety of the cosmos, uh, who can conceive it? Yeah. Yeah, Walt. Uh, I think I feel like a, there's kind of a tension of real excitement about the, you know, come Lord quickly. Yes. Come, but also the excitement that, like, we're in the story right now. You know, so clearly I want the Lord to come, but yes. it's also really encouraging. Yes. In a minuscule way, but, but it, it's, um, yeah, so there's a little tension. Yeah, uh, it, there is a tension. It's, um, 
Yeah, I could, you're right. I, I was going to read something, but I'll, I'll pass because of time. Um, but isn't it wonderful to know that the story that we're in is not, uh, that what we partake in even now is not something disconnected from. It's very much a part of, which is so wonderful. And even, of it's, even, even now, it's just, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. So, good. What else? Quick question, Mark. Yeah. Yes. How, what are the implications for how we treat our bodies that are now? Yeah. Because I think a lot of times we think of kind of the platonic idea of we can screw this place up. Because yep. We're not going to be Woo-hoo! here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, so what, what, how should we change the way we think about ourselves and the place in which we live? Yeah. Based on the idea that we'll be here. I mean, it's not like I'm going to get to body of Arnold Schwarzenegger type thing. You might, Adam. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think this. I think we've got to be reminded that our body, that, you know, this uh, is is not our own. It belongs to the Lord, and that there's ways that we can best care for that, steward that, just like we would anything else. How that works, I I don't know. Um, I mean, I know some things. I mean, take care of yourself. Uh, it, it seems like a, it's a very holy thing to go for a walk. Uh, it's a holy thing to watch what you are, are to, you know, what you, what, probably what you're eating. They can become idols just like anything else. I mean, I, the body can become an idol. Uh, but at the same time, we certainly have to learn that balance of what does it look like to steward well what God has given us even now upon, within the conditions that he himself gives to us, I think would be a, a certainly broad, wide circle around that. Um, that would be some of it, yes. Yeah. Mm, mm, I have no idea. That's a great question. <sighs> yeah, I have no idea. I don't know how to. I, I haven't thought through all the implications of being buried at sea, or you know, if you're if you're you know if you choose cremation, or if you choose to be uh, put into a casket. I don't know. Not thought about that. So that God will put it back together. I know that. How I don't know. As yes. A simple elementary science teacher. I don't know, but I yeah. Uh, everything turns into something else. Yeah. Happens. Yeah. God can put it back together. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't turn into nothing, mm-hmm. even in creation. Yeah, that's right. Well, y'all, uh, you've been a, a joy to uh, walk with this through. Thank you for your participation over the past eleven or twelve weeks. I hope it's been profitable to you. I hope you've gotten to see, a, you know, God's great design for the world that he has made and what he is actually up to, to in it and how you and me get to be participants in that, in that wonderful mission. Um, Brian and I, when we originally began thinking about this, we thought, what will give you all resources and propel you further into your life as Christians? And if you're not a Christian, what, how do we present a beautiful case for the Christian story? Uh, so I hope you find it compelling. It's certainly worth taking up the standard and marching behind our Lord Jesus as he does all of this. It's really wonderful. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll uh, send us out. Our Father uh, in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us, that you give us Jesus uh, through whom, uh, O oh Lord, we are now participants in this wonderful mission that you have called us on. Help us as your people, your church, to live this mission out in all of its robust ways, all the way down to the finest detail, Lord. It will take good thinking. 
It will take us being critical and being thoughtful with our neighbors. We certainly ask that you would provide that for us. Lord, until that day, will you uh, remind us that you have given us the guarantee or the down down payment of your spirit, that you have secured us for yourself. And because of that, uh, we can walk confidently, hopefully with you, until the day you do return. We pray it would be today. Uh, We're deceiving ourselves if we think that this life in its present form is somehow better than what is coming. So we long for it and we cry out with the church through the ages, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly we pray. And it's in your name, amen. Go in peace. I hope you have a great uh, worship um, this morning if you've not yet been and thanks for being here.